We are learning, it says. But living in holiness is living with nothing hidden. Living with nothing hidden. Ah, that's scary. Isn't it? That's so scary. I used to read Psalm 139 you know O Lord you have searched me and known me you know you know my getting up and my sitting down and my thoughts you know before I used to read that and I used to think ah no no I can't stand that I can't stand that thought I really did I couldn't handle that psalm at all I want to be known fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's shame. It's saying I'm not good enough. And if I'm not good enough then I'm going to be punished. And I won't. People won't want to know me. People, God will, you know, God will reject me. The fruit of the tree. We don't want to be known. So this session, this session is called Orphan Hearted. Let's go back to the garden again. I keep, keep going back to the garden. We'll go back to the garden a lot. Just have a look for a minute at, at, at what happened. But uh, before we actually go there, Let's have a look in in John 14. Because Jesus in John 14 is introducing this wonderful person, Holy Spirit, into the the lives of his disciples. And he says, If you love me, you will keep my commands. And I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you another counselor to be with you forever. He's the spirit of truth. The world's unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you know him because he remains with you and will be in you. I'll not leave you as orphans. I'm coming to you. And in a little while, the world will see me no longer, but you'll see me because I live, you will live too. And in that day, you'll know that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me and the one who loves me will be loved by my Father and I also will love him and reveal myself to him. There's all lovely stuff. And, and, and some, it, I don't know if you noticed, but there's this phrase in the middle of all of that. I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. And it's like, whoa, hang on a minute. Where does that fit? all this stuff about the Holy Spirit and you know all the rest of it and it's like you guys are orphans and again it, we know for certain that most of the disciples had living fathers they weren't orphans in any technical sense so it's not just something he's saying to the disciples he's saying something to us and of course 
he said, I only say the things that I've heard from my father. And so that's something that the father is saying. You're orphans. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to come to you. You see, what happens? Well, no, let me, let me say first. Why, why it occurs, in, of course, in, in, in the context of him talking about Holy Spirit, is because the Holy Spirit is resuscitated. This morning, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of adoption. He is the very Spirit of the Father. He's not coming just to, to comfort you or to teach you to all of, the, all of those wonderful things Holy Spirit does or to give you gifts, make you speak in tongues, whatever it is that, that you know, we've, been, we've been taught that Holy Spirit does. Holy Spirit comes as the Spirit of the Father. He comes as the Spirit of adoption. He comes to bring us home. It's this, I, I call it, I call it the, the divine conspiracy. It's like this wonderful conspiracy between, between the Father, Son and the, and the Holy Spirit. And, and it's like Father, Father saying, okay, look, Jesus, you go, okay, and, and I will send the Holy Spirit and Holy Spirit will stir people's hearts and draw them to you, and then you can bring them home. You know, you're, on, you're on a loser if you want to run away from that. You know? Holy Spirit has come to draw you to Jesus. And Jesus will bring you home to the Father. And the heart of God will be fulfilled. I love it. But the thing is, this orphan heartedness. It's, it's the thing that, that causes us to want to hide. It's the thing that causes us to be afraid of, of, of being known. And the thing is, if we're afraid of being known by other people, we're definitely going to be afraid of being known by God. See, back in the garden, what happened was the man and the woman became fatherless. They, you know, they shut themselves off from this, from this heart of love by deciding that they wanted to make the decisions. They wanted to know. They wanted to know about people. They decided, you know, that what they were really saying was actually, I don't think he's as good as he says he is. You know, the accusation was you want to be like him, but he doesn't want you to be like him because you don't know this, this evil thing. You don't know the difference. God's holding out on you. He's hiding something from you. He's not as good as he says he is. And then, when they have to leave the garden, I don't think, I don't think it's possible to for us to imagine the pain that they must have felt that they have lived since the moment of their creation. They walked with Father God. They enjoyed his company. He, they had, had nothing but blessing. And even when they thought they would be punished, they, and, and now suddenly, it says, he forced, he had to force them out of the garden. And, you know, we've already been through that. This isn't punishment, this is do you think they understood that? Of course they didn't understand that. This is, this is, this is like, 
This is a risk that Father God is having to take. It's like, they have to leave the garden. I have to get them out of there. It's going to hurt. And it's going to cause all sorts of problems, but staying is going to be worse. And so they're pushed out of the garden. And all they see is this hand that they've had nothing but love for suddenly pushing them away. And, you know, Father knew what would what would stem from that. And, and I believe, I, I am utterly convinced that when Jesus came out with that phrase, there in, when he was talking to the people in John 14, I'm convinced that was, that was the heart cry of the Father. Echoing down from, from Eden. But pushed out, hurt. Out there, there is, there was the original altar. You know, that's who Satan was. We know they tried to go into the theology of plenty of scripture. But, you know, we know he was a, he was the angel of light. He was you get the impression when you look at the scriptures he was probably the closest the closest to the father of all the angels the only, only one who'd ever been closer to the father was Jesus and I think it's kind of you know he got wind, he got wind of this plan of the father son and spirit that would make these make these funny little things out of mud and breathe life into them then for crying out loud draw them out into the, into the life of the Godhead make them part of the whole community of, and it's like they're going to be closer to you than I am well I'm not having that you have lost your mind and he developed this, this, this hatred for us and this, this, he cut himself off from the father originally. He became, if you like, he became the original orphan. And so he's continually whispering to the man and the woman and all that. So, first of all, Jesus again was, he's holding out on them. I told you you were going to be punished, didn't I? Look what's happened. Look what's going on. You, you can't rely on him. You've got to look after yourself. protect yourself. Other people are going to hurt you. Even he's going to hurt you. No one, no one to look after you except you. And we developed as humanity not only being afraid of this, of this God but also self, self-sufficient self-protective you know, Merle was saying about self-protection, saying about we just don't we have become hardened. We have to look after ourselves. It's, you know, I oh, 
Childlikeness has always been like a problem for me, to be honest. Okay. I struggle with the idea of being childlike. Because I hated being a child. I really did. I felt powerless. I felt helpless. I felt subject to everybody else's whim. I hated being a child. I couldn't wait to grow up. Maybe a self-protecting adult. What's the point of that? But anyway, I did. I hated it. Awful hard. You know, I kind of think, well, what does it feel like being an orphan? Let's, let's just label it. Let's name it. Okay? An orphan has no one to care for them. Maybe you don't know you're cared for, don't know you're cared about. Nobody else cares. Well, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to make them care. I'm going to have to strive for acceptance. I'm going to have to, I don't know. I'm going to have to control things so that they work. Or I'm going to have to manipulate people to to accept me and be nice to me. I'm going to, I'm going to, be, I'm going to have to be the good boy. There's all sorts of different ways we respond. There's a self-protection against a sense inside of us that no one cares, nobody, nobody else cares about me. Orphans have got no one to protect them. So you have to protect yourself. You have to find ways to survive. More control, more manipulation. Or else you withdraw and go and hide. An orphan has no sense of identity. And if you don't know who you are, you have to create an image. Decide how you want other people to see you. Paint it on a nice, nice pretty mask. Stick it over. This is who I am. I'm, I'm a banker. I'm a housewife. I'm a teacher. I'm a leader in the church. finding our identity in what we do doing things to create the image of ourselves that we want other people to have of us an orphan has no inheritance nobody to give you anything so the only thing you get is what you earn or you take or you strive for or you work for nothing wrong with you know, working for your living nothing wrong with, with any of that but when it becomes this out of, out of a heart that says no one's going to give me anything there's no free lunch All things, all things, freely given by the Father. But an orphan heart says, No one's going to give me anything. And an orphan has no one to bring discipline to their life. 
nobody to show the right way. And hurting people hurt people. So we set up laws and structures and hierarchies and fences and boundaries to protect ourselves from each other and protect other people from each other. Out of fear. In the end, the only language that an orphan heart understands is fear. And generally, orphan hearts seek to control or seek to abdicate responsibility. That's why you always get this big divide in any situation. There are some people who will take a lead and, and all the rest of it. And there are some people who just sit back and let everything, everything happen around them and everything be done to them. Most of the time it's just orphan hearts working out. I only feel safe if I'm in control of the situation. I only feel safe if I'm not in control and I don't have any responsibility. Both ways of protecting themselves. There are there are all sorts of symptoms of open heartedness. I can list, I could list them out. I'm not going to list them all out here. But uh, uh, just, just, just to say that talk about an orphan. You'll hear people talk about an orphan spirit, and and it kind of is 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 that way, but. You talk about it as an orphan spirit, it's like, well, you kind of imagine it's something that comes on you and that you can cast off or have cast out. You can't cast out an orphan spirit because it's something that's embedded in you and in your heart. It's nothing to do with something that's come on you from outside. It's this inheritance of shame that comes, that comes on all of us from Adam. There is only one way to heal an orphan that is to introduce the orphan to a loving father. That's how orphan-heartedness is healed. The love of the father. Jesus came to be one just like us, didn't he? He came as one just like us to show us that actually we can live loved. We can be loved. And he came to show us exactly what Father is really like. Scripture says that he came to reconcile us to the Father. Thing is, if you think like an orphan, if you think that God is this scary, angry, judgmental God, if you think God is distant, you think God is pointing the fingers at you, why on earth would you want to be reconciled to him? Why on earth would you? The best thing to do is keep well out of his way. Why on earth would you want to be reconciled to him? And Jesus came to show us what Father is really like so that we would want to be reconciled so that we would become open to reconciliation. This is such a wonderful picture of this reconciliation 
in got to be one of the best known parables we call it a parable of the prodigal son really to do with, the prodig- with a prodigal son it's a parable of the extravagant father it's a parable of the utterly unbelievable incredible over the top amazing prodigal because prodigal means over the top excessive father anybody I, I can read the story anybody not know the story we all know the story We've, we've all read it, we've all heard it. So, here's this guy, and he's got two sons. And we know what the younger son did. The younger son said, oh, Dad, I want my inheritance. I want to go off and do my thing now. Why did he do that? I guess he didn't think his father was really good. Thought his dad was holding back on him, didn't give him enough. Thought his dad was holding out on him, uh, keeping him from what he was sure would be good for him. Does that sound familiar? holding out on me not giving me what would be good for me so exactly the accusations back in the garden and so that young boy I don't know how old he was he decided I don't need a father I don't want a father I'm going to go do my thing it's not about him going off and sinning and doing whatever But actually, what it's all about is that decision that you made at the start, which is, I don't want a father. I don't need a father. I can look after myself, thank you very much. And in doing so, yeah, he, he presented the father with the worst insults that were possible in his society. Because, you know, that's, that's, what, that's what he was really saying, saying, I want my inheritance now. I said, I wish you were dead. I don't want you in my life. I wish you were dead. And actually, under the law, the father could have taken him down to the elders of the city and had him stoned. But he didn't. He let him go. Because love never controls. Love doesn't insist in its own way. Love doesn't control. Love may weep. Love may be heartbroken. But love won't control. He had another son as well, didn't he? And he thought he thought his father's love was conditional. He had to work hard, slave away in the fields, do all the right things, be a good boy, because otherwise his father won't love me. And it comes out at the end, he didn't feel, because he, he didn't feel as though the father's love was unconditional, because he said, Look, you, you have never given me 
even so much as a goat. I've earned it. I've worked hard for you. And I guess he decided in his heart, I haven't got a father. Two sons. Both of them orphans in their hearts. And the father's heart reaches out to the orphan. I have no idea what the elder brother did, but you can see the father's heart going out to him. Come in. I, I, want, we need to, I want you here in my celebration. I want you to share my joy. Everything I have is yours. You could have taken a goat, a fatted calf. You could take a what you like, any time you like. Don't you understand? When you come in, And the younger son, well, the younger son has his nice prepared speech. I always think it's interesting that Jesus never said he repented. He just said he'd come to his senses. I, I'll be honest, I, I don't think he was very repentant at all. He just, you know, he said he came, he's rehearsing the speech. I don't, these, these are the buttons I've got to press. I know what Dad's heart's like. I know if I press these right buttons, he's going to let me in and then I should get some decent food and that'll be fine. I don't think he was very repentant at all. He doesn't sound it to me. And it didn't matter because he never got the speech out. Anyway, it was just muffled in this enormous hug. (laughs) Just this unconditional embrace of a father who is just so utterly delighted to have his orphan son come home. whole sermon on that one. Can't, don't have time to go there. But do you see the heart of the father and do you see the heart of the orphan? And do you see father's response to the orphan heart? And, you know, we can... A couple, several folks actually talked about, about this with me over lunch. We, somehow, we hear all this. God is good. God is love. God's in a good mood. He always. God is Father. He loves you. You don't have to earn anything. It's all under. And do you know what? It goes whoosh right over the top of our head. We hear it in here. It never gets nothing. Doesn't have impact our lives in any way. It's just like kick. Yes, I know God is good. And sometimes I can kind of hold on to that when things actually aren't too difficult. When the rubber really hits the road and it really gets hard and something really tags into something that hurts us, we completely forget all about it. We lose it. All this stuff just goes out and, and, and an orphan-hearted attitude and an orphan-hearted speech overwhelms the whole, the whole thing. I, I, I was, it just when I was preparing this, it just suddenly hit me. You know, again, one of these wonderful evangelical things that, 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 that we have with the parable of the sower. You know, the sower goes out to sow the seed, and the seed is the word, and, and you know, and, and that's great. And it's and and the thing is, we always 
and only think, okay, yes, the word is the gospel and it's people hearing the gospel and some people, you know, all of those things, the evangelistic text, and, and all of that is true. There's no doubt about that, but stop and think of it another way. Okay, this is a parable of the kingdom. The kingdom is about father's love for his kids. The kingdom is about father's heart for his children. Okay? And word in scripture, the seed is the word it says. Word in scripture is actually all about self-expression. It's the expression of the heart. Out of the mouth, the heart speaks. True about God, true about us. You know, we, we, we talk about Logos and Rhema and actually we forget that if you, re- if you actually look at it, the Logos isn't the Bible, the Logos is Jesus himself. He is the Logos. He is God's self-expression. And actually, if you look carefully at the, at the, the Greek constructs in, in Ephesians, you will discover that when it talks about the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, the force of the Greek is that the Spirit, Holy Spirit is himself the Word of God. Holy Spirit is himself the rhema. Jesus is the Logos. Holy Spirit is himself the rhema. So, the seed is the word, is the sowing of God's self-expression, the sowing of Jesus, the sowing of Holy Spirit, the sowing of Father's love into our hearts. And so, the word is his offer of himself to us. And it can lose its power to bear fruit. We can talk about the word bearing fruit. That, that offer, that relationship bearing fruit to make a session. As we get influenced by the orphan heartedness in the world around us, if we haven't taken that deep, deep, deep into our hearts and reinforce it continually, or if our hearts are stony, it just doesn't take root. And, and there is something in us that needs to be intentional about first and foremost, fundamentally, I know God is love. I know He is my Father. Okay, this is why I'm saying at the beginning of this this whole thing, if I can't find Father's love in it, then I'm just going to put it on the shelf until the time that I can. Somebody asked me, well, how do you decide to put this on the shelf and not that on the shelf? And the answer is simple. God is love. That's, that's, that's ground. That's the base. You know, God is love. So if I can't find his love, pop it on the side. When we first hit into this, this revelation, probably for three years we did nothing but soak ourselves in books, in teaching, in talking to each other, in, in finding people who who had experienced this same thing and reinforced continually this heart of sonship, this heart of love, this knowing of the Father, this turning from orphan-heartedness 
and identifying orphan-hearted reactions and orphan-hearted responses. And it took us... Yeah, we had to be intentional, didn't we? Yeah? We had to be intentional to do it. Because God is love. And if we're not experiencing Him as love, we're not experiencing Him as Father, we're not experiencing for who He is. And for us, that was, that was critical. That, that, that's all that matters. What is, the thing? what is it? You know, we, we've, I've talked about the, the, the way the orphan heart developed and, and, and kind of where the orphan heart came from in, in terms of what happened in the garden. But bringing it right down to a personal level, to a you and me level, where does it hit us? Where does it affect us? Why does it get a grip? Why does it get a hook into our lives? And... We are built for relationships. First and foremost, we're built for relationships. It's absolutely fascinating that, that recently, part of my counselling training, we've, we've had to study and understand quite a lot of, of neuroscience and quite a lot of how the brain works and quite a lot of how. And it is amazing. Your brain, Father God, wired your brain for relationships. It's amazing. It's built into the physical structure of your brain that you're wired for relationships. Do you know that there are neurons that fire in your brain that are called mirror neurons? And actually what happens is that when you are in in close relationship, in communication with, with a person, what actually happens is exactly the same neurons fire in your brain as are firing in their brain. That's how, that's how relationship happens. That's how empathy happens. That's how connection between people happens. Because we have these structures in our brain that are wired to connect. That's how God made us. Built for relationships. And, and of course where that begins to get built and where that begins to get, get established is when we're babies. We're mothers and fathers. We're babes in arms. We're with our mothers and our fathers. That's how those, those structures in the brain get established. And that's how our, our hearts are drawn to, to love, to relationship. Our fathers and mothers image Father God for us. And later on in our lives, other authority figures, you know, teachers and church leaders and whatever, they mirror, or they're intended to mirror the heart of God to us. Our parents mirror Father God so that as we grow up, it becomes quite natural to, to step into his love, step into the experience of being fathered and mothered by God. <laughs> the trouble is, of course, our fathers and mothers were broken too. Our teachers and our church leaders are broken too. It's very, very rare that that image is well projected. Sometimes it is. 
wonderful when it is. Sometimes it amazes me. I, I, I have a guy that I'm, I'm working with in counselling at the moment whose childhood was horrendous. The stuff that he was subjected to, not, well, yeah, physically as well, but emotionally and spiritually, the stuff that he was subjected to was utterly, utterly, utterly horrendous. And yet this guy, for all of the problems that, that we're working on together, this guy has actually discovered in himself somehow that he knows how to father. And he has become the most amazing father to his children. And it's like, God, that is incredible. How did you do that? Because he'd never had it modelled for him. And yet something in his heart has known how to connect and has known how to, to create an image for his, for his children, which is, is, is wonderful. But so often, our parents' brokenness is projected for us onto God. That's true of this guy as well. His parents' brokenness is projected onto God. He sees Father God in the light of his natural father. He sees God's mother in the light of his natural natural mother. We're going to talk about, about that uh, in a minute. There are two effects when we do this. We walk in unforgiveness. And there's something inside us that blames and resents uh, and demands that life should make us feel safe and valuable and significant and will only allow us to receive love and fathering in the way that we think it ought to happen. In our way. You know, it's a, it, it, it's a bit like a guy sitting on the, roof of a, on the roof of a house in a flood. You know, the flood's up, the flood's up, up over, over all the windows. He's sitting on the... On, on the top and, and, um, and he thinks sits there on the top and he thinks I need a helicopter and I'm like God please send me a helicopter I need a helicopter that's what that will reach me out and get me out of here and while he's doing that along comes a guy in a, along comes a guy in a boat hey come on hop in no I'm waiting for a helicopter No, I'm waiting for a helicopter. God's going to send a helicopter. No, you ever done that? I've done that. God, please answer me. God, please do this. And along comes the answer. And it's like, no, no, I'm waiting for this. We expect it to happen in a way that we understand, that we can relate to, that we have seen beforehand, instead of allowing ourselves to trust. And we close our hearts. We close our hearts particularly to parents and parental figures. We cease to be willing to live like sons and daughters. And we embrace open we embrace orphan heartedness as normal. You know, you think of all those, those things that I've talked about, what it's like to be an orphan. How much of that out there in the world, and maybe in our own hearts, is considered normal. Work for what you can get. There's no free lunch considered normal and we embrace orphan heartedness as normal even desirable and childlikeness is seen as weakness isn't it I bet even, even now some of you in your hearts when you talk about childlikeness and you think of your God as just being a child just being a childlikeness of a little child child 
But until and unless we can step away from these things, we're going to likely have barriers to the experience of God's love. doesn't mean we can't experience it. You know, the word, this offer of, of, of himself, it's kind of, we, can, we can grab hold of it and we can have moments of experiencing Father's love. But we'll not be able to hold on to it. Drift away. Kind of continuing with this topic on the next session. Okay. Do you want to kind of think about sort of just shaking a shaking a leg and jumping? Up